was a Bitcoin. at the dealership right now so not to make anybody barf if they're watching the video but here we are at at the dealership in fresno i got the i'm on the porsche showroom i got the uh i got the bmw well you can't see it out there but you got the service department for bmw behind me and audi's downstairs so i just i general manage the the audi and porsche stores and then race whenever i can um but uh for me as a driver wanting to race it's difficult to actually run the race team. So a couple of years ago, I ended up selling the race team um, and they're out just, you know, continuing to do their thing. But basically being a BMW, Porsche, Audi dealer and the team at the time was running an Acura NSX and like the insert series. So politically, it was very difficult. So I was like, hey, man, I'm only doing the German cars. You guys can go Bitcoin cash all you want. I'm just going to stick with the real stuff. <laughs> and I, you know, that's kind of how to me, that's kind of how it was. I had to make a split based on the fact that like politically it didn't make sense to be, you know, associated with a, a Honda team. If I was going to be selling Porsches, if I was gonna be a Honda dealer, then that's fine. But, um, you know, Porsche was like giving me the side eye, like, Hey, what's up? Hey, what is up with this Acura NSX? Why are you guys making that? <laughs> you know, so it's kind of funny. Yeah, exactly. I've actually been to the, the BMW factory in um, Munich. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a it's an amazing thing. The whole town of Munich is BMW, right? You go to the airport yeah. and it's like BMW everywhere. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I went there a couple of years ago, I guess 2016, and just seeing the way that they paint the cars, I was like, man, this is some serious stuff. They have all these robotics and all this stuff. It was mm -hmm. very impressive. But I guess that's why they're able to sell, you know, seven figures, seven, seven figures of, of cars a year in terms of amount, you know, which is a lot. Yeah, I remember that was the first place that I had seen robots, like working robots on the sales floor. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 ro the robotic aspect of the car industry has come up a lot and I think I think Japan really came up with it. They they're the ones that really pushed it at first in the in the 90s trying to really kind of increase efficiency so they could make more cars per day because it's like for them it was a volume game, you know, for Toyota and Honda and stuff like that. Um, Porsche handmade their cars until, I mean, like to the point where like they didn't even have a actually motorized assembly line for 911s until I think 1999 or 2000. So um, I think the Germans were much slower on the uptake in that regard. Um, but that's why there was also this flux in quality control because you had people literally going to get fired if their car sucked because it was that guy working on that whole car. Mm -hmm. um, so they knew, you know, they knew if like you built this red car and the wheels fall off, like that was your fault. Whereas now, like so many people touch it, they've had to kind of figure out new ways to automate it. And the Porsche facility in Stuttgart, where the, the original factory is, um, they have this whole process where everybody rotates stations so that no one goes postal because they don't like at, at a lot of the, the domestic, you know, in, in America where they're building the Chevys and stuff, you'll be the dashboard guy and that's all you do for your whole life. Whereas like with Porsche, like today you're working on dashboards, tomorrow you're doing radios, the next day you're doing seats, you know, so you're installing different components of the car so that you know the car really well, but you also don't go absolutely batshit crazy. And like, if I see one more damn dashboard, I'm gonna snap it, you know, like, so they, they, they have like a, they, they figured out a way to make the efficiency high but also the psychological aspect of it you know positive for the for the employees too which i think is a really crucial thing and it, it shows that like 
there's a quality control there that goes beyond just how much money we're making on a particular car, you know? So it's nice to be with a brand like that because, you know, when the, when the car shows up, it's like dialed and you're, you don't have to worry about it, you know, but I've, I've had other, I've had a bunch of other brands that I've worked with, with motorcycles and cars where like you open the door and like the panel falls off and it's like, ah, <laughs> pretend we didn't see that, you know? And customers obviously, as you would imagine, get really pissed when they, they custom order a car, it shows up and then literally shit is loose and rattling and like stuff's falling off. And then you call the manufacturer and you're like, what's up with this? And they're like, yeah, sorry, we were just in a rush, you know, like, and you're like, that's not acceptable. We can't do that. So that's the part of the problem with the car industry broadly is that there's this disposable aspect to it, which translates to all sorts of products. Um, like Safedine always talks about with like low time preference engineering and, you know, when engineering really peaked and all that stuff. So it affects us a lot. It also seems like Porsche's moved there by like giving the employees diversity. Like that's a really good investment mm -hmm. in that you don't have to hire like maybe the less productive marginal employees. You can just make the ones you have extremely competent and productive. Right. Because think about it this way, right? If you, uh, if you have a, um, if you have a, a breakdown, right. And like, you know, Klaus doesn't show up that day. You can't, you can't just stop the assembly line, right? Klaus, Klaus is not needed today because you have 11 other guys that can kind of fill in because everybody can do that job. Does that make sense? Like everybody's really there for it. So it's not necessarily this, this challenge to replace a person that's a specialist, right? Cause everyone's a generalist on a, on a, on a type of car. So everybody that works on 911s only works on 911s, if that makes sense. Right. So they'll, they'll have like the guys working on the Cayennes are working at a different plant completely. So you might specialize in a type of car, but in terms of the parts on the car, you know, you're going to be generally aware of, every, of the whole system. <laughs> so it'd be like a, it's, it's like everybody is sort of a utility player at that point to use like a baseball reference where the shortstop can play third or second or first or catch or whatever. And, and that has a way of, of creating less downtime for the overall team because you don't have to replace like a keystone person because everyone has that sort of, you know, normal spread. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, I definitely felt was valuable when I visited the factory. And then also from a business standpoint, I also feel that, you know, you need to understand the, the different components of the business. Um, you can't just like, just focus on one thing because if that position gets automated away, like sales, you know, they have all these people sending in leads on the internet now. So if you don't have like, if you don't have, you don't really need someone to like answer the phone, you know, you don't need as many people to answer the phone. You can have like one or two people answering the phone. Everything else comes through emails with, through the lead system. Um, and, you know, that's a pretty basic thing that you could plug anybody into. If they come from a Subaru store or a Honda store, they could figure that out. You know, um, it doesn't necessarily have to do with Porsches, but when it comes to like custom ordering a car, you know, then you're like dealing with a lot more subtlety because you have to get to these people like it's a custom suit and be like, oh, well, as you can see, here is the stitching color. If you go yellow or gray or red, like these are various options. And Porsches are so customizable that it, it becomes very, uh, very complex, you know, for the for the store, for me, because I order the Porsches and uh, for the clients to select, you know, from how they want to do it. So it's just I mean, the car business is very complex, but it's it's very fun because it's an everyday thing. So kind of like a restaurant, you know, you always have moving pieces and stuff like that. Uh, the, the challenge is that um, everybody that works in a customer facing, you know, capacity at a car dealership has a glass like literally a glass office, right? So it's like everybody sees what you're doing. There's a transparency to that. 
um, which is nice, but it also means that currently now while we're on the Zoom call, I have a customer like sharking around outside my office, like pacing, waiting to talk to me at some point, but he didn't text me. So it's just that, you know, someone else has got to get him. This is how it goes, you know? It's just, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so is it hard as a Bitcoiner to work in an industry, and like you said, a very transparent industry? Do you have to, do you find yourself like, I sometimes have to stop myself from talking about Bitcoin when I'm around people who maybe aren't interested or have expressed they're not interested or their business doesn't accept it. You know? I think it's crazy that businesses would eliminate the possibility of accepting it. I, I think that's crazy because you see that, you know, here's a group of people, right? Like, oh, let's say we're a business, right? Like you and I start a business. Who's our customer? Oh, we want to target wealthy people. We want to target people that are technologically aware, that are going to be fast evolving, that are going to be first adopters, right? Like we want to, we want people that don't care what the media tells them. They're going to make their own decisions, which means if they have a passion for something, they'll be super loyal, right? That they can't be swayed, right? Those are very valuable customers. That's Bitcoiners. Like how the hell are you not trying to court those people? You know what I mean? So I just, I think that, um, you know, as, as someone that's in a very brick and mortar business, the challenge is how do you adapt a brick and mortar business that's very legacy into the new system where, you know, we're going to be getting our own open node and trying to run, you know, stuff like this, to run payments and things through that. And how can I, how can I try to pay my employees in Bitcoin or give them the option to get, get paid in Bitcoin initially? Um, we have out of the 120 people that work here, we have about 40 of them that, that are Bitcoiners. Um, and if they're not holding Bitcoin themselves, uh, sadly they might be holding a shit coin um and like on the other side of that there might be a bunch of them that are on the fence um you know just because it's too complicated so i try to put out like a a certain amount of you know information out there i take stuff articles from bitcoin mag i take podcasts i actually have a whatsapp group with everybody that's interested about 45 people and i i kind of pop that information out there um you know not necessarily to like shill Bitcoin because it's not like I'm trying to sell them Bitcoin like from my personal stash, but more just like, hey guys, like I'm not going to give you a raise. So if you want to make more money, like you better invest it right. And like, this is a great way to do that, you know? So um, the, the car business right now is very weird because of the chip shortage. Um, so there's people that are paying way too much money for cars. And that's like, it's creating a little bit of a fluff or a FOMO to the, to the, to the actual like girth of the industry. Um, and people are paying maybe 10 or 20% too much for certain cars uh, on a dealership side and then, tr and then passing the savings along to the clients. So that's a very difficult thing to watch. Um, and you hear these stories about like, oh, this dealer's got this car and they're asking this much for it. Da, 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 da. But I mean, it's just like any other industry, whether it's cars or, or whatever else, you know, you have to kind of, uh, you have to manage expectations and, and manage, the, manage the process, you know, and the, the, the ins and outs of the inventory coming in and then trying to sell it, recondition it, and service it. It's all very, you know, very challenging, I guess, in that regard. And it took me a couple of years to get to speed for it. Whereas I felt like Bitcoin was something that uh, as a traditional equities slash, you know, um, macro investor being aware of gold, being kind of like a gold hodler for years and stuff uh, for, you know, being scared of the government or something like that. Um, Bitcoin makes way more sense than brick and mortar businesses in that regard. Cause it's like, you know, it's on all the time. So it's just the light switch is on. They broke the switch off, threw it away. Like it just is always on. So, um, you know, there's not like, 
there, there is a Bitcoin shortage to a degree, right? But it's not like there's a Bitcoin factory that like is going to have these third party, you know, like blockages and things like that. I mean, the Fed obviously tries to do some sort of third party intervention and things, but they can't necessarily like stop you from buying or selling because obviously there's, you know, a hundred different ways you can acquire Bitcoin. Yeah, peer to peer um, will always be on the table, even if you destroy all the on and off ramps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peer to peer is always there, and then you also have all these crazy ass companies like like Fold and you know Lolly and stuff that are like doing Bitcoin rewards, and like I, that's one of the things that I really show the hardest to people because I'm like, guys, you don't even have to pay, you don't even have to buy Bitcoin, you just have to buy shit, like just buy normal shit through your like normal shopping, through your normal travel, just use it through these portals, and suddenly you'll have Bitcoin. It's amazing, you know um and if number go up it help helps you then like it helps you and it's great and you might want to actually along the way buy bitcoin and see how it goes but i think you know so many people have this false narrative that they're they're sort of like you know they earn x amount of dollars and they're like oh i can't afford to invest you know because like this is all i have and it's like no you can't afford to not invest because what you have is going to buy less and less on a you know a very regular basis so you're going to see regular debasement of, or inflationary aspects of, of prices on things that you want and the people that need to invest realistically are the people that have the least amount of income flexibility because they're like on a salary or an hourly or whatever and you know those people get screwed by the prices of milk beef wood gasoline all the you know those things go up it hurts the people that are on a fixed income that are making 15 to 18 bucks an hour yeah and if they didn't get they didn't get a, a pay raise you know anywhere from three to ten percent this year especially last year then they're being debased they're they're right. taking a pay cut and well and even if people are, are realize that. yeah and, and even if you did get let's say let's say you make twenty dollars an hour and you got a dollar fifty raise right so that's a that's a three percent chop or something like that or whatever it is right so you dollar fifty raise, uh, no, it's like seven percent, right? So it's seven and a half percent raise on twenty dollars. So you're getting twenty one fifty now. Well, that dollar fifty extra, right, a day times eight hours, is still only twelve bucks before taxes. So it's really barely enough where I live to get a In and Out Burger, number one animal style with a milkshake. That's like I think that's about ten or eleven bucks. So you know nine ten nine ten bucks something like that. So literally like that dollar 50 basically pays for your lunch. You know, that that 7% raise just gets you lunch. And so, you know, and that's at a fast food place, right? So if you go to a real restaurant and you're paying like, then all of a sudden you go and you're like, oh, I'll have the salmon. And they're like, oh, it's $29. And you're like, whoa, and a tip? Holy shit, I'm going broke. Because then you're having to work literally half your day just to have lunch, right? And I think people have this sort of consumerist voyeurism right where they see people like they're watching through the lens of the television and they're like oh my gosh look at how these people are spending money or instagram and they're like i want to live this life where you can just buy jordans and get a cool iphone and like go to the maldives and stuff like that but like that's not that's not real you know what i mean and people this, yeah that's the problem I, I i i preach that as being a very big problem um you know and that's why if people ask me like oh are you an influencer i'm like no because i don't craft content for the purposes of shilling something i'm just like hey here's a picture of my kid here's a picture of a car like this is my real life you know what i mean <laughs> and, you know and i i i i like i like that i have just my real life out there because it means i don't have to like remember any narratives you know and i think bitcoin's the same way as a ex-baseball player i can't get away from the fact that i have a name or a past or whatever so when it comes to talking about bitcoin it's like 
yeah, you know what? I have a target on my back or whatever. That's fine. I get random like fishing attempts and stuff like it happens all the time. It's just it's constant. But, you know, you just have to stay vigilant. And uh, I guess in that regard, but just bless everybody that is that is still anonymous in the Bitcoin world, like all of you people that have a have a one word name, you know, on a Twitter with a mask on or something like we don't know who you are. And that's fine. Stay that way, because once the you know, once they see your boobs in the movies, like they, you can't unsee them. Right. You can't you can't you can't delete the boobs off the Internet. So if you do a booby movie, then that's that's pretty much that's the way it goes. The same thing with your name. <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I, I really agree with you that like, this is one of the most like insidious misconceptions is that you can afford anything you want through debt. And it's just every American can have whatever they want right now. They, they just need a credit card and it's, right. you know, they're being, you know, neg whoever has the, the, the largest account balance, positive or negative wins. It, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Well, and the thing is, right, if you have, if you're willing to be suicidal with your debt, right, you can't acquire a lot of stuff. The problem is, if you don't actually service that debt, it all goes back to somebody else at, some, at the end of the day, right? You don't get to keep any of it. It's not yours. And so um, you're better off at that point, just, you know, being a valet uh, at a really nice country club and driving other people's cars for free or getting a tip for it. Because if you don't own it, you're, you know, it's not really yours at the end of the day, right? If you're leasing everything all the time, you know, I understand if you have like a work depreciation schedule where you have like a work truck and someone's paying for it, you know, whatever. But, you know, if you're on, if you're doing payments on a, um, you know, and you're like, oh, I want to get a new iPad. And then, you, you know, Apple's like, oh, you can do, you know, 24 months of payments on this. And it's like, dude, you shouldn't be getting an iPad if you need to do 24 months of payments on it. Like that's not, it's not that functional of a device where it's going to make you money along the way. You know what I mean? It's just like another place to read a book or, you know, like download movies and stuff. So it's like, generally speaking, a TV and a laptop are a better, you know, two, like two item combination than just an iPad. I mean, at least in America, but I think the Bitcoin thing, it's like, you can't afford not to invest the way I look at it. Right. Because, you know, I think it was, who did who did the petrodollar uh, article for uh, Bitcoin magazine, right? Like you guys did the is the petrodollar where it's like the devaluation of the dollar and all that stuff. And it was like oil coming over the, the course of the dollar. Um, that reality is what people are starting to wake up to. And even people that are, you know, regular people, not just people that are very like investor savvy or whatever, you know, like, you don't. it's not just Paul Tudor Jones and Michael Saylor figuring that out. It's like Timmy from the sandwich shop feels that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, Lou from the restaurant, he's like the guy that he's the butcher that buys the stuff and gets the meat. He knows, right? He knows that shit's more expensive now and it's, it's, it's not any better, right? And that's the problem is that that invisible tax, because as, as the cost of everything goes up, your taxes go up, the cost of carrying that goes up. If you're paying it on interest to the credit card, your credit card bill, you know, is bigger and all that stuff. So you constantly have to ask for permission to have a higher limit. It just, it's this knock-on effect you know, we, in cars, we, we think of it this way, the lighter your car is, right. The easier it is on brakes, the more fuel efficient it is, the better it accelerates, the better it decelerates, the better it changes direction. And in the same regard, like having excess debt is having baggage, you know? And so it's like, if you, whatever you can do to leverage your debt, to get more Bitcoin, right. That's cool. But if you're leveraging your debt to get more stuff that you're just paying more taxes on, it doesn't really work very well, you know, in the long run, it, it, it might've worked 25 years ago, 
but with the appreciation and costs on things, it's not going to work in the next five to 10 years very well at all. Cause we're at that last, like that, you know, it, it's been, it's been slowly going and it's starting to kind of tilt up at like a 40 degree angle and inflation could hit like a 70 degree angle, you know, on that chart, depending on what your scale is. And that's going to be super, super, super painful for people that don't have a risk off asset or an asymmetric upside asset like Bitcoin. That's the way I look at it. Yo, what is going on, plebs? We're going to take a break from our programming to tell you about the resurrection of our print magazine, starting with the El Salvador issue. Starting this fall, Bitcoin Magazine will be available on newsstands nationwide and at retail stores such as Barnes & Noble. Don't want to get off your couch, though? No problem. You can also go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com. So skip the line and get each issue shipped directly to your front door with our annual subscription. I'm talking four issues a year that contain exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, along with powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Subscribe today and get 21% off using code podcast at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at checkout. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there's, I mean, I'm not really interested in telling people how to spend their money or live their life, but it, but it seems like they're, it would be helpful for a lot of people to reconsider what are consumption goods and what are capital goods because mm. for most people there's not like a good reason right like they're not going to bring more wealth and property into their home by buying garbage that's that's being offered to them all like day and night you know and i think that bitcoin is one of the very few things that you can actually own as property right I mean, I'm a car owner myself, but I, mm. but I have to, I have to pay registration. I have to park it on certain streets. I have to pay parking tickets. Like it's not, it's mine, but it could very quickly be taken away. It could be towed away in the night and there's nothing I can do about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, that's not the way but you have insurance though. So, so from a criminal standpoint, if someone steals your car, at least you've mm. been paying into a, a kitty where you get a new car, you get a check for a car, you know, in that regard. So a car as like a tool to get around is like essential because we don't have teleportation and realistically we don't have high speed high speed rail so it's mm -hmm. not there, there's not like a lot of really good all season alternatives because we were like oh just ride a bicycle that's like yeah how's that going to work out for you in connecticut in december like you're not riding a freaking bicycle with like four feet of snow on the ground it's not going to happen you know um so i think the car is essential and there is infrastructure related to cars meaning like gasoline roads stoplights uh you know, speed limits, all these types of things. A lot of that is priced into the tax of the gas, you know, and in various states, they have the sort of, they have different ideas for how nice the roads need to be and how, how seismic the freeways need to be. Like in California, we pay more gas than anywhere except for New York. So like in California, you're paying like $1.50 of tax per gallon. Whereas like in Texas or Arizona or some other places, you're paying maybe 25 cents, 40 cents, something like that. So you have these big swings in actual actual price differences uh, for the same thing that has the same function in different different locations. So it's it, you know people talk all the time about like jurisdiction shopping, but like the cars are sort of they're 
the problem is cars are super cool, right? And so people like fall in love with the identity of the car. And then they, 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 that, that at some point breaks loose from the reality of the practicality of the car, you know? And I've been way more guilty of this than anybody. Like literally as a car collector guy, at one point, I wouldn't consider myself a car collector any, anymore. I'm more of a car consumer um, because I'm not bubble wrapping anything and just putting it away. But like at one point I had 17 cars, right? Like that's like a real thing. So I'm playing major league baseball. I have no kids. Um, you know, I have a warehouse with like four cars in it. I got a bunch of motorcycles. I got some cars at my house. I got some cars at one of the dealerships. I got some cars, one car at my race team shop in Texas. I got shit everywhere. I don't even like at one point I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. I have that car, right? Oh, you know, someone's like, hey, like what's your favorite car right now? And I'm like, ah, you know, and I was like, oh, I forgot I have this car. That's insane. And then I was like, wait a second, that's crazy. So then I'm like, I'll scale it down to 10. And then I was like, well, if I'm scaling it down, I might as well scale it down to like four, you know? So my wife has a car, I have a car, and then we have an electric car that's like a commuter. Um, and then I have like an old BMW. Like that's like, you know, cause I like BMWs a lot. So that's kind of like what I have now. I have a station wagon, we have an SUV, an electric car that we used to take around, take the kids around town and, and, and get great parking spots. And then I have my, my stick shift M3, you know, my old one. And, and that's, that's what I have. I, I got rid of all the other cars because to me, I was like, well, I'd rather have more Bitcoin. Number one, number two, all these cars cost me something. Like you said, registration, insurance, all this other shit. So you're basically burning. If you especially have nice cars, you're burning thousands of dollars a year. And if, and like, I talked to American Hoddle about this and some of these other guys. Um, and I'm like, dude, in 2014, I bought a McLaren P1. If I would have taken a 10th of of the, of the, I guess the down payment or whatever, if I would have taken a 10th of the down payment about Bitcoin in 2014 with like a couple hundred grand, you know, like, you know, I mean, where would I be right now? So in, in that sense, the, the lack of true understanding of what was important at the time, seven years ago has, I'm not gonna say it's burned me now because obviously like I've gotten into Bitcoin since 2018. So I've been like, you know, accumulating and learning and whatever. But I would definitely say that you have to be on a good, sustainable path for yourself, whether that's through investments or, or you know, mo uh, upward mobility, at, you know, at a regular job where you're fiat mining. Um, before you start like aggregating a bunch of shit, like whether it's a crazy shoe collection or, you know, like whatever. And, and I think because if you look back and you say, oh, what was the opportunity cost for buying all that stuff? It, it never really is as Huge. good of a it's never as good as a, of, a, of an investment as you thought it was at the time, you know? And I've done some fun ancillary investments where like, I was like, oh, I'm going to take this money that I have and like do this with it as like a project and like grow a business or something like that. Those tend to work out, but like at a 60, 40 ratio, not even at an 80, 20 ratio, because business is just hard. Um, you know, you make investments in a company, the CEO embezzles some money and then disappears. And now he's in jail. And it's like some shit. Like it's like, well, there's 40 grand down the drain. You know, but if I would have, if I would have spent 40 grand in Bitcoin at the time, then that would have been like, you know, seven or eight Bitcoin potentially. Right. So there's these things that you want to punch yourself in the face for later. So then as you, as you mature, you start to get that thing that grandpa always said was like, if I knew now, or if, if I knew then what I knew now, you know, I would have done a lot better. So as a sort of decentralized brain of Bitcoiners across the country and, you know, using clubhouse or Twitter spaces or crypto Twitter Bitcoin, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, and just using that that a little bit of an echo chamber, you can accelerate your learning. So you do know now what you need to know, you know, 
then and, and you shorten that window. So maybe you make mistakes for a shorter period of your life, maybe for five years instead of 18 years, maybe for three years instead of 25 years. You know, and I think that's where learning from other people's mistakes is an extremely valuable part of the Bitcoin journey because you figure out, okay, this BitConnect thing happened, so I can't fall for shit like that. And then like, you know, uh, this guy's a fraud, can't fall for stuff like that. Like, don't lose your keys. Don't throw a laptop away, you idiot. Like, just, you know, there's a lot of stuff like who, who throws a laptop away, right? Like, especially uh, like, oh, I was, oh, shoot, that was the laptop that had 700 Bitcoin on. Like, and I just threw it <laughs> in London. Like, bad idea, right? But you we're seeing that stuff. And, and that has just as much of a, I would say, a learning signal as a, a, a well-made podcast, you know, listening to Safe Dean talk to somebody or Michael Saylor talk to somebody or whatever. So there's like, there's, there's this really three-dimensional aspect, you know, like all around of, you know, all these experiences. And it's up to us to actually digest those and learn from those experiences without having to go through them. Because there's a lot of bad things that have happened to good Bitcoin people um, over the years that people have gotten goxed, you know, and all this other stuff. You just don't want that to happen to you. And when you're orange pilling somebody, you don't want it to happen to them. So you try to relay that and say, hey, these are all these bad attack vectors. Just watch out. But yeah, I think it all kind of gets into that, that, that the choices you make really do have an effect on the future that you create for yourself. And if you're always thinking about the future version of you and your family and those types of things, you tend to make better decisions than if you're like, you know, what's going to be, you know, what's going to get me a lot of likes is if I get this new thing and the doors go up or I get this new shoe and I'm like, what up? I mean, you, you just stop making decisions like you're 16 years old, you know, when, when you get involved in Bitcoin. Otherwise, if you're successful, there's people that stay in that 16 year old mindset and they don't do it until they're until they get divorced. You know what I mean? Until their wife leaves them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so if you can avoid that, then, hey, you're you're you know, you're off to the races. In that it seems like it's all about delayed gratification, right? Delayed gratification yeah. is the only way to successfully accumulate any capital. Right. Because if. And, and, and once there's, there's this other thing, like, you know, people like to hate on like capitalists or say that that's everything that's wrong with America. And it's like, this, it's not like some holy class of people that were just like born, like they have to make decisions every day, mm -hmm. not to spend all of their capital and to employ instead tens or hundreds or thousands of people. Like it's, it's, it's a job right. and a huge responsibility. Yeah. And I think, I think what a lot of people don't realize is when you're running a business or you start a business, it's like, you know, you could relate it to mining, right? Cause like, like if you're talking to Bitcoin people, you can relate to mining. People are like, Oh, should I start mining? And I'm like, okay, let's talk about this for a second. Right. Let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars and you know, you want to start mining. So you go online, you buy, you know, you commit to buying a certain amount of S 19s, you put them at compass or something like that. They don't show up for like six months or seven months. So your CapEx is negative, right? So you spend the money, now you have less money, and then the line just goes flat until they come online, right? Whereas if you buy Bitcoin right away, you know, then you have you have a potential to go down, obviously. It could go, it could, it could go down from where it is. Right now it's like 51, 52. Um, it could go down to 40, it could go down to 39, whatever. And then it could rocket back up to 80. Well, you miss all of that volatility upside if you're first foray is buying a bunch of miners that are going to be hosted somewhere else, right? Using that as an example, the business is the same thing. You're like, oh, I'm going to acquire a business. Okay. So you buy a business or you 
you know, you see, you have this vision and you're going to like build this thing out. So you're going to build out the restaurant or the, you know, the clothing store or the motorcycle shop or the barber shop, whatever it is, you're going to be buying the chairs and the TVs and the tile and all the shit. You buy all that shit. And it's like, okay, so now you have no money and you have no customers. So like, when are you going to start getting customers and you're still paying rent? So there's like this with running a business, it keeps going down. Like your cash pile keeps burning, you know, every month because it's like you're, you're, you're committing, you're on a lease, you know, your personal guarantor on a lease for three years, 10 years, whatever. So you're constantly under threat of bankruptcy when you start a business, unless you just have, unless you have a stack that's this big and you spend 5% of it on your business, but nobody has enough money to really do that when they're starting out, unless it's a, you know, um, PhD, like, um, you know, Papa has dough, right? If it's one of those situations and you just have a dough fountain getting thrown money at, then it's different. But for most people that are going to bootstrap themselves and lift themselves up, it really is like mining where you, you know, like you, you spend all your money and all your time and all your commitment. And then there's nothing for a very long time. And then you start to trickle upwards. Oh, we have 10 customers. Now we have 14. Now we have 19, now we have 24. And you see that kind of turnover. And then suddenly you get to a point where, you know, you actually figure out what you're doing or you go to business. So it's like, you know, and then, and then as you figure out what you're doing, just sort of like walking through the fog and suddenly you can see like a shape and then suddenly you see edges and suddenly see colors. And then all of a sudden you see the object um, or the truth or whatever you want to call it. You, you get to that point, I think in business after, you know, Malcolm Gladwell says 10,000 hours, which I don't really espouse that. I think if you're with it, you can do it in maybe, let's say, 3000 hours, which to me is about two years of hard work, you know, in that regard, it's like really grinding for about two years um, on a subject to get good at it in a business sense. Um, along the way, you've got to, you've got to do things that you're super uncomfortable with, you've got to meet more people, you got to bring people in, you got to advertise, you got to do all this crap. And it's a, it's, it's miserable, like running a business is like miserable until you're good at it. And it's, it's very hard. Um, and that's why from an investment standpoint, when people say, Oh, I want to start my own business. I'm like, you, first thing you should do is go work for a business. That's actually good. Like work for a running business or go work for a terrible business, but like go see somebody else do it. So you can learn from their mistakes. Just like, Hey, log in, like read this podcast or, uh, you know, read, read this article, watch, listen to this podcast. So you can actually hear what it's like to make mistakes and rebound from them. And so that's the one thing I wish I would have done in the car business is I wish I would have gone to work for another car dealer before being a car dealer, you know, because I just stepped in. I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy a car dealership. And I got absolutely like dragged balls first over sandpaper for like four years selling Mazdas and motorcycles and all this other stuff. And it was not fun and not entertaining. And, you know, it was educational. And that was great. But like, if I would have just gone to work for somebody for like 90 days, I probably would have learned as much, you know what I mean? And had no risk, you know? And in the meantime, if I would have like bought cool cars back instead of getting involved in the dealership, those cars are now worth way more money, you know, because the appreciation of the collector car market has gone up a lot. So I've made that, that mistake multiple times, but I'm at the point now where I don't have to continue to make that mistake. I can, you know, huddle Bitcoin. I can figure out how to get Bitcoin integrated into the business. And, and that has, that for me as a new game is much better than thinking, oh, if I get this much, this pile of money, I can go buy another business. Like at, at this point, I'm totally over that. I'm just optimizing the one I have and then just not dealing with capital expenditures anymore. Yeah, it seems like, and it's always 
I mean, it's a hindsight like 2020, but if you haven't yet mastered even like acquiring property and holding it or having savings, or you haven't, you don't really even know how money works. I don't know what makes you, not, not you, but what makes someone think they're going to be able to start a business that's going to beat the historical 200% ROI that Bitcoin offers. Right. I'm not saying in all cases buy Bitcoin instead, but it's worth considering. There's like an easier route here where you can just right. acquire something that appreciates, get yourself on, on the right path financially and, and use that time that that buys you to just educate yourself and figure out what you like, what you want yeah. to do. You know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, there's a there's a part of the culture for people that are younger than me i'm 40 now but i you know the the people that are sort of let's say 15 to 25 years old right now there's there's a big part of of their upbringing where they've been a little bit insulated from some of the negative things and they've been really bombarded with a lot of false narratives from advertising and television shows and you know mainstream media or whatever and it's wor way worse now than it was when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, I didn't even have cable TV, right? So I'd go to a friend's house and it's like, holy shit, you have HBO? Amazing, you know? Um, but as a result of not having cable TV, I rode my bicycle, I built jumps, to skateboard, go to the beach, stuff like that. You know, and as a result of that, fall down, get hurt, scrape your knee, start bleeding, accidentally hit a parked car, and, uh, you know, while racing on your bicycle. Like, you know, real, real consequences of real actions and like in meat space, right? So when you see real things and you have a tangible aspect to your pain and things like that, then you're able to like understand that there's landmines out there. And you're like, I don't want to fall into those things. I don't want to fall for those things. Um, I have to pay, I have to look where I'm going, right? I can't just like run across the street. I will get hit by a freaking car, right? And people that like used to ride their bikes places as kids and stuff like that, I think in that sense, using the look both ways, I, I can't tell you how many times I must've heard a, a thousand, 10,000, 20,000 times from my mom, look both ways before you cross the street. People now it's like, they don't even say that to their kids because they don't let their kids go. The kids aren't walking outside the house. They're like not letting the kids go run and, and you know, scavenge in the forest or like run around and like try to catch a turtle. Like that shit's not even happening anymore. So there is no looking both ways. The kids are just, so when they get in the situation where they, 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 they want to go across the street, they just go and they get hit by a car, you know? And that metaphor, right? I mean, it's a real situation, but metaphorically, that's rushing into business. You know what I mean? Before, do I have enough money to do this? Who can I trust for advice if something goes wrong? But you know what I mean? Like, that's where you have to look both ways. And if you don't have someone to trust, you know, and someone to give you advice or someone to model yourself after, how are you going to be successful unless you have an absolutely crazy disruptive business that is irreplicable, you know? You have something that no one's ever done before. Like, hey, I invented teleportation. Like, check it out. Here's my teleportation device. Beep. You know, no one's ever done it. Guess what? You're going to be a quadrillionaire. That's fantastic, right? Because you're going to transport everybody where they got to go and goods. But since that's not real yet, you know, if you're talking about traditional business, I want to start a restaurant or a t-shirt company, or I'm going to be a musician or a painter, or, you know, I'm going to go work at a bank or, I mean, it's like, there's all these things that are really hard to do and really hard to be good at because there's a lot of people that have a chance to sue you, right? Even as like a dentist, like you go to a dental school, 
you're an amazing dentist. And then like someone sneezes while you're drilling their tooth and then they lose a tooth. And then, you know, you're sued for $250,000 because they were going to be Miss Nevada and you had no idea. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's all these like unforeseen consequences, yeah. like in a fractal sense, once you, once you go down that path of being your own business or being a small business. And, you know, like this guy asked me the other day, he's like, Hey, what advice do you have for me? I want to start an Amazon web store. And I'm like, what are you going to sell? He goes, I have no idea. I'm like, okay, so why would you do this? And he goes, oh, I heard people do it. And they're really, they make a lot of money. I'm like, dude, how much money do you have to invest in this? He goes, I don't know, X. And I'm like, just buy Bitcoin, honestly. Like until you have one full Bitcoin, like just focus on that and go get a regular job. You just get a job where, where you're, not, you're not worried about the company going out of business. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to like your job. This is a, this is a thing. It's great. It's great to love your job. It's fantastic. But if you don't respect your job for being a job and you think it's just a hobby or a pastime, like you're not going to be good at it. And then someone else is going to take your job because they will be more serious about it than you. Because someone needs your job more than you do, generally speaking, right? There's like, and that's for me with baseball, that was the way that I always saw it. I was like, hey, there's a kid, there's a whole country full of kids that grew up with dirt floors and like pet chickens and stuff. And they don't, they can't go surfing in the summertime, you know? So I can't have this posh mindset. I have to be an absolute assassin when I'm out there because otherwise one of these guys is going to come in, you know, and like their uncle got killed by a drug dealer and they need to make it to like support grandma. You know, like that's a much bigger impetus to be successful in a sport than, oh yeah, I just think it's fun to play baseball. Like that, that's not, that's the, that's, you're not going to make it kind of territory. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it's the same thing in the car business. I have to be, I have to be really hungry, you know, to, to, feed everybody else, if that makes sense. You know, like I have to be uh, ambitious and forward thinking in order to protect my hundred plus employees and my family. Um, otherwise some dude's going to come in and try to do a slip and fall and, and jack me, you know what I mean? For everything, which actually we just were in the process of a, like a, a something like that, you know? So oh, no. it happens. Right. But it, yeah. so I keep thinking, Oh, if I was to sell the dealership, like, what would I go do? And someone's like, oh, what would you go do? And I'm like, I would literally go work for a Bitcoin company. And like, that's it. Because I'd have no liability at that point of, you know, meat space, slip and falls, you know, lease leases on buildings and leases on land and, and having to comply with like what Porsche thinks I have to do for construction and all these things. Like that's, all the that's Bitcoin awesome. companies are, are remote. That's the, well, the great thing. I mean, they're, right. they're pretty much all the major ones are remote. Yeah, exactly. And, and realistically too, like how many industries are actually hiring right now? Like actively like, Hey, we're looking for talent. Mm -hmm. We're looking for people to, we're willing to train you to be good at this. Like restaurants. No, you know what I mean? Uh, real estate. No, uh, construction. No. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like it's, it's way better to be a Bitcoiner working in a Bitcoin industry and, and, and working towards a Bitcoin future than it is to do almost anything else right now. So if you're like some computer savvy person and you know, you're economically savvy, like that, that has to be on the top of your list for, for me. That's the way I look at it. You know? And also if you like, if you don't have any Bitcoin yet, but, but, but you're interested in it, I mean, this is, if the historical price models hold true, I'm not a future prediction guy, but if that is the case, this is going to be like the last year or two that, average middle-class people are going to be able to afford a whole coin right yeah. so now's the time if, if, if you're going to just put your head down and work this would be the yeah. time to do it 
Yeah, I agree. And, and that's honestly, that's why like last year, early last year, um, I did kind of a knee jerk reaction once I have a bunch of friends that are international in this car collector, like WhatsApp group. Right. And, um, I was getting some of these videos of how China was treating COVID and what was happening. They were like putting nooses around people and yanking them out of cars if they had like temperatures and like crazy shit, like absolutely crazy shit. I'm like, yo, if this is really how bad this thing is, like, I should probably get as much cash on the table as possible and, and, and get rid of my assets. And so I made a conscious decision to sell as many things as I could, you know, based on the fact that like I owed money, I had debt, I had all this other stuff. And I was like, having debt in a downward spiral is really bad because that you can't pull out of that. Right. So the less, the less debt you have, the better, and the less assets you have, the better. So you can be more mobile or whatever. And, and realistically, it's easier to sell off individual cars than it is small percentages of a business that's not publicly traded. Like I can't like issue shares and go, Oh, does anybody want some shares? Like here, you get some shares, you get some shares. And then like, Oh, we've successfully raised money. Right. It's not the way it works for a small business. It's the way it works. If you're, you know, a publicly traded company, because you can just issue new shares, but you know, so anyway, so I did like a very, I would say a cross between wimpy and cautious move of just getting rid of a bunch of stuff. And, um, as a result of having that additional capital and having less pressure on the situation, I didn't have to get rid of any Bitcoin, you know, when things got wacky. And then when things pulled back up, it was like the momentum that we had as a business, we had our best year ever, right? And this year, we were having a better year than we did last year, despite the chip shortages and despite all this other stuff. Because, you know, as you get good at something, you keep, you keep finding new little efficiencies and stuff like that. The, the, I always t- talk about it in the car business. There's enough crumbs that that drop out of each deal that if you sweep those up, you know, eventually you can have a whole meal, right? And the equivalency would be like a salesperson, a good salesperson sells like, let's say 12 cars a month, right? So if he sells one more car a month, then at the end of the year, it's like he sold, it's like he had 13 months now of paychecks instead of 12 months, right? Mm-hmm. So explaining that to people, you see the light bulb turn on, then you break it down to say, this is how it works with Bitcoin buy $20 here, $50 there, whatever, it adds up. You know, eventually you have $1,000 or $2,000 worth of Bitcoin, which is, is still like we're talking about, it's a significant enough amount that if Bitcoin does really rocket in a couple of years, you know, to these prices that were that the mathematical models show, then, you know, like how much is your, how much is that extra 50 bucks and 20 bucks? Like, what were you going to get with that? Right. Like, what were you really going to get? So it's the equivalent of like being on a diet and saying, oh, I'm going to go no appetizers for a year. You go no appetizers for a year and you spend your appetizer money on Bitcoin or you're like, I'm not going to buy any sneakers this year. And instead of buying sneakers, you buy Bitcoin. Like it's it's not like you have any more money to spend. Most people just they're kind of at a fixed spot. Yeah. But, you know, you, you start reallocating capital. You know, and then all the boomers that have 401ks and stuff like that, they can out reallocate 100 grand at a time or 200 grand at a time because they've got that much in their, you know, in their retirement account that's that's potentially mobile. And if they switch it over, you know, to like a Bitcoin IRA or something like that, then like, holy shit, now, now all of a sudden, you know, you get an extra 10 or 20 years of appreciation on, on a Bitcoin type asset. Like what, you know, that's 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 really that's where, you know, like you're saying, you see that you see that that change that kager. yeah you see that kager and the window diminishes even if the kager has like a decay right like it's at like it's been at 200 if it goes to 140 120 110 90 80 you know if like that's what it decelerates to at some point it's still going to be doubling every you know every short period of time nothing else does that 
nothing else has ever done that like ever right so all of us missed it that missed it but hey all of us that are in are in and so you can't be sour about missing it when you're in right you just have to keep just go in further and figure out ways that you can eliminate things you don't need um you know from from your from your closet the joke is always sell your chairs right so um, you know so sell one of your wife's purses when she's not looking. I don't know, whatever. Like there's, there's gotta be stuff or just figure out ways. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> figure, figure, you know, yeah. Drink espresso instead of a macchiato. Right. So you get the same caffeine hit out of the dollar 50 espresso that you do out of the $5 coffee. Right. So on, you know, if that's an extra 1500 bucks a year that you save or whatever, Hey, it's something, right. It's something. And 1500 bucks a year today is not much. It's 0.03 Bitcoin today, literally. Right. But like, Three, but that was half a Bitcoin a couple of years ago, right? Like 2018, that was half a Bitcoin. So like if you had half a Bitcoin, I mean, and you did the coffee, you, you did the financial coffee diet for one year, right? And you did like Keurig cups at home instead of Starbucks, then 1500 bucks at a time, you know, it's half a Bitcoin today is $25,000. Like that's a pretty sick ROI, you know? Like... <laughs> Yo, my fellow Bitcoin lovers, have I got something specifically curated for you. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium markets intelligence newsletter. This isn't some pay group selling buy and sell signals. No, this is a premium Bitcoin analysis led by Dylan LeClaire and his team of analysts. They break down in an easily digestible way what is happening on chain in the derivatives markets and in the greater macro backdrop context for Bitcoin. This newsletter turns volatility into a joke. So hit up members.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code podcast for 30% off the deep dive. That's members.bitcoinmagazine.com promo code podcast for 30% off. Divorce your pay group and learn why Bitcoin is the ultimate asset by Dylan and his team. My fellow plubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. So I just want to ask what then, because I can see the price if it takes off this year being um, set off by things that are happening in El Salvador tomorrow. Have any thoughts about El Salvador or besides that, what is the most bullish thing happening? Bitcoin in your eyes today? I think, I think there's a couple, there's a couple things, right. But, and I, I like to say this Bitcoin is Bitcoin. It's not, it's not, it's not this crazy metaphor for like all these other things. It's not war. It's not peace. It's not love or whatever. It's a financial system. Right. So it's important that I don't overly romanticize how I feel about it. If that makes sense. Right. I have to put that disclaimer out there, but currently 
due to the supply decrease, you know, uh, on exchanges, which we're seeing on chain metrics, there's, there's, you know, there's a, uh, uh, there's a severe dip in, in the actual holdings on exchanges, you know, book balance sheets in terms of what's available in their, in their reserves, or just what are people doing? So if someone like me that two years ago was a noob and was keeping all my Bitcoin on an exchange, now I'm putting it on, you know, different hardware wallets or in a, in a multi-sig or something like that. So like I'm keeping way less of my Bitcoin on an exchange than I ever have. Um, so th that's bullish to me. I think also this DCA army, there's this stacking kind of like $20 a week or $50 a week or $10 a day or whatever it is. These people are buying these small amounts regularly and they've committed to it and they're in and that's it, you know? And you're seeing that because of Swan and River and all these other different like Bitcoin only maybe on ramps. And then you're also seeing it from uh, just the exchanges themselves are, are espousing this, right? They're espousing this DCA because at the end of the day, they get fees every time you buy something or sell it. And so if you're buying regularly, you're paying fees regularly, right? So it makes sense for them to, to want to do that. Um, so that's bullish because as people get orange pilled and they're like, well, I can't spend, I can't, I can't buy a whole Bitcoin. And you're like, yeah, I know you can't, but you can buy 500 bucks a month. And they're like, you're right. I can't. And then they're, they're like, so that, that aspect, because then, every, so, and, and for me, like, I'm not Willy Woo or Clemente or, you know, any of these other guys, but as a, as someone that's been trading equities for, I don't know, since I was literally a teenager, um, here's, here's something, right? Exchange, like wallet balances from 0 0.01 on Glassnode, you can go to like 0 0.01 to 0.1, right? As like a, as like a window to see how many people have a little tiny bit of Bitcoin up to about $5,000. $5,000 is a very small amount of money for a Western person, right? For a, for a British person or a German person or a, a Japanese person or an American person, Canadian person, you can buy $5,000 worth of Bitcoin today. You have 0.1 Bitcoin, right? And if you're DCAing from 0.01, you will get to 0.1. Does that make sense? Like if you have $500 worth and because that's your first purchase and you're buying $500 worth a month, at a, after you know, a certain amount of months, you're going to have 0.1 Bitcoin, even if the price goes up, because you're 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 taking a, a regular bite out of it, right? So that to me is the most bullish signal, is when you're seeing the increase of 0.01 to 0.1, and as that number goes up, you know, then eventually you go from 0.1 to 0.2, 0 0.2 to, and, and then they're working towards one whole coin, right? Some people are coming in with the idea they're a more mature person, 50, 60 years old. They've got a pile of cash. They're like, I want to get one Bitcoin, two Bitcoin, because that's going to be baller to say at the golf club in 10 years. Then there's a whole other group of people that are just regular citizens that are literally buying $100, $500 a week, something like that, or a month, whatever. The more of those people there are, then those DCAs actually suppress the downward volatility of, uh, on the exchanges because you have limit orders that are basically being put in nonstop by stackers. You know, so if you imagine there's like an order book and, you know, there's active traders that are like actively buying and selling and stuff like that, the DCA people are like green button, green button, green button, and they're just hitting the green button, you know, on a long scale, but no one's doing it. Like it's not always every Friday, you know, it's all over the place. So like I have a couple of DCAs set up and they're happening at different days of the week and different times, you know, cause people are like, oh, how do you make sure that you get like the lowest cost on the, on a DCA? It's like, you, you, you basically you say, oh, I have this much to spend and you do it in 20 different intervals and you sort of mitigate that. That's all you can do. 
But um, people like that are sophisticated that are starting to do that because the tools allow you to use that. And once mm -hmm. they figure that out, then there will be very little downward price volatility. And then there'll just be supply shock constantly. Because anytime someone wants to go to it, it'll be like they're dumping a gallon of water on a hundred you know, people running a marathon. People are in it for the long run. They're thirsty. They want some, but they can only take a little sip because they're running. They're busy, right? This is like, they can't just go pull a gallon down all at once because they just, that's not where they're at. So the, the big, we, I mean, we joke about this, but like on the chart, like the big green dildo, when they, when it just goes, wham, it just goes straight up. Like, you know, the, the price goes up $2,000 in an hour or something like that. That's from someone making a huge market buy typically. Right. But when you see, uh, when you see the, the price go up and then go flat, and then there's like a little bit of sell pressure or whatever, but then it holds, that's the DCA people. That's the, that's the automated buys and stuff like that, that are just, hey, it's three o'clock on the seventh day of the week. So boom, it's just buying, right? And I think that to me is a bullish level of technology that doesn't exist in any other market. You cannot buy $20 worth of a gold bar, realistically, right? You cannot buy $20 of, of an Amazon share and do something with it. Yes, with Robinhood, you can get these synthetic shares and shit like that. But like you can buy actual sats for $20 and you can move them, you know, on lightning or anything like that. And so that aspect, also the lightning network growth, 25% uh, of it has come on in the last like couple of weeks. Like people like me are setting up lightning nodes for their business. Um, it's, it's great. It's awesome, right? Because I, I don't want to have to pay credit card fees. So if I can convert my clients over to paying with lightning, instead of paying with credit cards, I'd save two to 3% a year on all my service bills. So but like, just in, I, sorry to interrupt. In, yeah, go ahead. Just in knowing how to do that and knowing how to run a lightning node, that's going to be a very saleable skill in five, 10 years. Yeah. And the whole because, world is looking for money transmitters. Right. To settle right. in Bitcoin. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as, as people start to have that sensitivity to how their money is used, okay, people are going to be like, why do I want this credit card that I'm paying 15% interest on? That's crazy. That's stupid. You know, I'll just be more humble because the deeper you dive into Bitcoin, it humbles you because there's always someone with a way bigger stack than you, right? And there's always somebody that's been wrecked and you've seen these bad examples and stuff like that. And also because you're sort of in a way more conservative about what you spend because you know in your head it's going to be worth way more in the future. So it really keeps you in like a little bit of a humble, you know, little phone booth where you don't really venture out too much. But if I want to buy a t-shirt from somebody online and they have an option to pay with lightning, I'll pay with lightning and then I'll immediately go into cash app or something like that and I'll buy $20 worth. If I buy a $20 t-shirt, I'll, I'll send $20 worth of Bitcoin to somebody I'll immediately buy back $22 or something like that, you know, so I don't feel like I, I, I'm losing out. And that, that principle, that, that type of thing, you know, that is a, that's a learned behavior. That's not a genetic behavior. Like no one knows how to do this. We all have to learn it. And, and that to me shows that like our evolution in the same sense that like 15 years ago, a lot of people probably didn't know how to reset their router at home. Whereas like, you know, most people know how to reset their Wi-Fi router at home now, you know, you hold the button or whatever, but there's instructions, right? There's, that's the whole point is like, there's actually, there's instructions for how to set up a ledger or a treasure or a cold card or whatever. So like even, even the most, I would say deep organic 
like difficult part of being a hardcore Bitcoiner, which would be like setting up a multi-sig wallet on a cold card where you have like a kill phrase where like you can, you know, like brick your cold card if someone's got a $7 wrench and they're going to hit you in the head. Like, like there's a Bitcoin card game called Bitopoly that my five-year-old and I play, right? I play, I play. So Fold came out with this card, this card game called Bitopoly and it's like Uno, but it's with, it's with Bitcoin. And so you have like miners and uh, 6102 attacks and a Mount Gox and like a Satoshi and like all these things. And you literally play like a card game, like a, you know, and it's great. But my three-year-old, my three-year-old my beat my five-year-old and she beat me. Like we've played about seven or eight games and I've only won about half of them, you know? And so it's like, my kids have figured out how the Bitcoin network works and like how to be strategic about, you know, protecting your, you know, you need, you need to have your proof of keys, all this other stuff. It's actually kind of cool. I'm not shilling it. I'm not paid for this, but I, I did get it. Yeah. And I feel like as an educational tool, it's pretty good. But yeah, you're right. I mean, running a lightning node is going to be valuable. Uh, understanding cold storage is going to be valuable. Understanding multi-sig, uh, being an authorized signer for on a multi-sig at some point, you know, like as a, as a um, let's say, a inheritance expert or something like that, mm-hmm. right? These are all super valuable things. And, you know, collateralized loans. There's this whole, there's this whole economy that's going to like burst out of, of the brain cells of all the smart Bitcoiners you know, and, and stars in the universe. It's going to be just a thousand different directions to go. And it's like the difference between learning how to build a website in 19, you know, 96 and just ignoring it until like 2008. <laughs> I right. mean, the, the, the signal's all there, but people are just so swept up in, in the noise of, of consuming and living hand to mouth. And like you said, we've, we've evolved past that. You don't have to live in a high time preference mindset anymore. I know that sounds really, um, you know, whatever you want to say, that's not fair to people who don't have money. It's like, well, I've been broke before. Like, you don't, yeah. you know, you have to make decisions to serve your future and to alleviate your future uncertainty. And that means saving in some form of hard asset. Um, well, and look at it like health right? You say, you, let's, let's talk about like food for a second, right? If you eat healthy, you know, it's good for you, right? Like everybody knows that everybody knows that like the better you eat, the, the better, the better equipped your body is to, to encounter the war that is immune systems and travel and time and all these other things, right? Like time is a war against your body, right? It just beats you down. You get fatter, like you, you, you lose teeth, uh, you get wrinkles, you know, your tummy hurts, you get kidney problems. I mean, there's a million different things that go wrong with your body as you get older, right? Like there's all these things. But nobody sits there and says, well, some people do, I guess. And they say, you know what? I'm just going to eat pancakes and cupcakes every day because fuck it. Like YOLO, man. I love sugar. I'm going all in. I'm just going to eat like trash and like whatever happens, happens. There is a component of people that are like that and they're probably unsavable. You know what I mean? And I did this tweet thread the other day where I said, you know, I like to do these things where like I talk about Bitcoin, but it's not about Bitcoin. Um, and so I said, hey, Noah only had to, had time to build one arc, you know, and if you look at Noah's arc and he offers you a ride, basically, and you're like, nah, I'm looking for something with more speed. I, I'd like to see something with, um, you know, like something that has smart float. I like a smart float boat not just like a regular floating thing, but I want it to have smart float, you know, and maybe some autopilot. And then I want to be able to do like a, 
I want the sale to like go up in a flash. So I want a flash sale, right? And it's like these types of things, if you're, if you're complaining about solid technology, you know, obviously the metaphor, then, then, and you don't get on the boat, like you will be swept away by the wave, right? The wave that comes through of inflation will destroy you if you don't have absolute protection. That's the reality, right? In a health sense, if you don't eat well, then, you know, and, and you don't work out, you would never survive an actual disaster scenario, right? So there's all these survivors stories that we hear all the time. Oh, you know, um, like Petra Nemkova, there's like the, the, the tsunami that hits Thailand and she's there and she clings to a tree for 10 hours. Okay, so if she wasn't like physically fit, she never would have been able to cling to a tree for 10 hours, right? If you're 480 pounds, because all you do is eat McFlurries every day, you're not gonna survive that scenario, right? You have to have some sort of instinct saying, I need to be at a level, I need to be able to survive. And like, that's how the species has worked for the last, you know, 100,000 years or whatever, depending on what you believe. So as we as humans have evolved, we've gotten stronger, smarter, you know, whatever, on purpose to survive. And if people neglect that survival instinct, and they just say, I'm going to sit on the couch, eat chocolate ice cream all day, I'm going to blow all my money, I'm going to buy cool shit on the internet and never leave my house. So who cares about your shit anyways, because no one visits you, like, you were not going to make it. And those people will be left behind because they're, they're like choosing to be left behind. Like the flood, the floods in Louisiana and stuff like that. Those people aren't going to be able to swim to higher ground, right? They're not gonna be able to make it. Whereas someone that's fit, that's got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, you know, like they're going to be crankily like surviving, you know, a walking dead scenario or a flood or any of these things, by the way, they happen all the time, right? Volcanoes, floods, tornadoes, all this shit. Like you don't know when it's going to happen. It's never going to happen to you. That's what everyone says. It's never going to happen to me. But like, you know, like you might have to run for your life at some point. And if you can't run, you're going to go down. And then you might get COVID. Yeah. Yeah. You have diabetes, you're 50 pounds overweight, 80 pounds or 300 pounds overweight. You, you go to the ER, you're probably not coming out. Right. So there's, but the important, Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, there's an element of that that I think is sort of a lot of times unsaid because it's unconnected. People aren't connecting that choice with and, and the action with the consequence because it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, oh, it's condescending, you're fat phobic or it's condescending because you're diabetic phobic, or whatever. It's like, no, a diabetic person needs to know where their insulin is at all times, right? Like that's my understanding of it. And if you're like have really bad breathing problems, you've got asthma, you have to have your inhaler with you. If you just chuck your inhaler and you're like, whatever, man, like you're not going to make it like that's how that works. Right. So in the same sense, financially, like if you are unwilling to listen, learn and make smart decisions every once in a while, like financially, you're going to get wrecked. You're going to go bankrupt. And well, it's, it's going to happen because there's an entropy to this whole process that things melt, you know, and inflation melts things really fast. So you like, you're just not going to make it if you are spending too much money on the wrong things and not, and not investing in the other things. And one of those things, obviously, is, I mean, in a way, is education, not so much because it's a magical piece of paper that grants you this thing, but it's because you're constantly learning lessons. And that could be over the internet. It doesn't have to be like going to Harvard or something. You could, you could learn lessons by taking an online class. But that allows you to recognize the signs to say, whoa, this is dangerous. I need to back up. You know, I mean, you can read books and get educated, right? You don't have to necessarily go to college. I'm just saying 
if you make no effort to educate yourself on any subject at all, except who the coolest NFT artist is, you're probably going to get wrecked. And, and that's just, and it's too bad, but it's like, but Hey, you know what? That's evolution. And that's so the way the parallel, going. the parallel between then health and then financial health is small, consistent efforts, right? Dollar cost averaging. You're not going to get in shape today. But right. if you do jog around the block today, you'll probably be able to go a little further tomorrow. <laughs> you know. Correct. Yeah. So the, the way to train for the proper way to train for a marathon from no training is to take like an hour, right? And then you walk for 59 minutes and run for one. And then the, and then the next day you run for two. And then you know, you kind of balance it out until you can run 30, walk 30. And you could run five, walk five, and kind of get to 30 that way. But it's an it's a commitment, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. If you don't so commit to the yeah, if you don't commit to the future you, then the future you is, is you know, like in the sort of Doctor Strange multiverse of like how, how many different things could happen. It's not like, it's not like the majority of those are going to be good scenarios. You know, if you want a good scenario, you actually have to like, you have to work for it. It's just not, it doesn't just happen. So when you see someone like Brad Sherman come out and say, oh, I wish people would buy lottery tickets instead of Bitcoin. It's like, nobody actually wins the lottery. Like, most of the yeah. people that win the lottery actually lose all the money anyways, right? So it ruins their life. Yeah. 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 So, you know, yeah, yeah. buy Bitcoin instead of lottery tickets, you know, uh, buy Bitcoin instead of cigarettes. Like make make one choice and make it all the time and then do push-ups, 10 push-ups a day, right? If you do 10 push-ups a day, it's better than zero. At the end of the year, you've done 3,650 push-ups. Chances are you might have some shoulders and, and pecs and triceps going on after a year of doing 10 push-ups a day. It's only 10 push-ups a day. But, yeah. you know, you get good at it and then eventually you, you'll, you'll have some base level of, of momentum there, you know, that's kind of essential. And that mindset of incremental improvement, like if you don't think you can go from zero push-ups a day to one push-up a day, you never will. Right. But if you believe that you can, then, well, you made that, that's a hundred percent improvement, but you can make an additional 1% improvement every day before you know it. I mean. Yeah, but that but it's 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 people that are like unwilling to fail, right? Or unwilling to I, I don't even want to use the word fail because it's not like a black and white thing, but it's mm -hmm. like it's a you know some people they don't want to go to the gym because they don't like the way they look. And they're like, "Oh, people are going to judge me." It's like go to the mall. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everyone you're going to get judged when you go to the mall just like you're going to get judged if you go to the gym. It's not like it's not like people are kinder, you know, at like any other social scenario. You know what I mean? If you're worried about being judged and, and to the point that you're not going to go do something that's going to be an improvement, then, you know, that's just an excuse. It's a self-sabotage thing. So it's like people say, oh, I can't afford a full Bitcoin, so I'm not going to buy any Bitcoin. I'm like, that's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like you can afford more now than you will five years from now. You know what I mean? Like five years from now, you'll look back and be like, damn, I wish I would have bought more back when I could barely afford to buy any. You know what I mean? And that's that's exactly the way that you have to look at your fitness. That's why you have to look at your personal relationships. You know, if you're married and you're like not giving it your all, it's not going to work out because marriage is hard. You know, life is hard. And when life is hard and marriage isn't really watered correctly and the plant's not watered correctly and it splits, then you're like, negative 20 years of your life at that point, you know what I mean? On average or whatever. So everything you're doing, you have to do your best. You have to give everything you can all the time because 
the world turns no matter what. The sun goes up, it goes down, right? Mufasa was pretty cool, but he dies in the Lion King, right? So like, spoiler alert, like not everybody makes it, you know what I mean? And sometimes they, sometimes people, people die unexpectedly. So it's like, even as a good husband that has Bitcoin, like teaching your wife, how do you unlock my wallet? Like, how do you do this? Like, where's the, where's the plate, you know, with the seeds on it? Like, who do you talk to? Like, what's the login? You know, things like this, having a will, like those are all very important. Otherwise you're going to potentially leave your wife on some wild goose chase or your kids on some wild goose chase. And then they don't benefit from your proof of work, from your time, from your love. Cause that's why you set things aside as a dad, you know, is because you want, you want your kids to prosper, you know? and you want to hand down family values. And I think that's, you get back into this whole thing, but at the root of everything is low time preference, you know, and, and willingness to push despite not seeing an immediate result, right? You do 10 push-ups right now, you're not going to look in the mirror and see Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Like it's not, that's not what it looks like. Right. So, I mean, God bless it if that's how it goes, but realistically, you know, it takes time and dedication. And if people aren't dedicated to the future version of themselves, they'll never get anywhere. And, you know, then socially, you just need to look at people that don't make that choice and are constantly not going that direction as like, they're, they're not going to help you either. And so you have to maybe steer away because they could just be a potential negativity, you know, there, just another, another, I don't know, just some, somebody else to support in the, in the zombie apocalypse that, that isn't going to help you. You know what I mean? It could potentially get you killed. Yeah. It's so. not a beneficial trade. Like it helps to just think of every bit of time you're spending as a trade because it is scarce like you said yeah i'm just coming for all of us so it's it seems kind of harsh to like put it all together like this but it's math you know what i mean and it is science and it is kind of like this and there's a psychology component to that too about making those choices to to get yourself better and i mean ultimately that's what you want for everybody you want everybody to achieve their potential right not everybody's going to but you have to give that message that you want everybody to you know, and if they don't, generally it's a choice thing. It's not necessarily a, um, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a, the bad luck thing. Sometimes, you know, somebody gets hit by a drunk driver, you know, while they're waiting at a bus stop or something like that, that's a lot different than being the drunk driver. You know what I mean? Um, right. in terms of the luck scale, but, but people say, are too worried about themselves to actively plot against you, right? Like most people yeah, have totally. every opportunity to make it. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, I think that's, that's actually a good one is to say that there's a lot of people that are so busy with their own thing that they're, they don't have time to deal with your thing. Right. So it's definitely not a case of them trying to take down your stuff and, and, you know, hunt you down and, and make your life miserable. They're dealing with their own problems. I mean, we're all dealing with our own problems, right? We're all dealing with our own solutions, our own problems, our own growth, um, our own families. And, you know, I don't really wake up in the day and go like, oh, who are 10 people's lives that I want to like pry into today? You know, like that's not necessarily <laughs> how I wake up in the morning. I'm thinking, okay, I know I had these five problems from yesterday. How do I solve those? How do we do this? You know, and, and, and kind of go like that. But that's, that's, uh, that's what makes me successful, I think. And, you know, when people aren't willing to put in the time on themselves, then they don't get as far, you know, and that's, it's, it's sort of sad, but just don't be that person. Like, don't be the person that, that doesn't achieve your potential because you don't make the effort because that's because you can't really unwind the clock. Like time travel is not real. Like there's time is a one way vector. The world just goes one way all the time. Superman hasn't figured out a way to rewind it in real life. You know, no one's been able to do that. 
So today's the only chance you get. So make it count. And then tomorrow, do it again, you know? And I, I guess that, that there's like a lot of sports psychology that's helped me get to that point where I'm willing to that. But I also know that if I'm unwilling to make that step, I get nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, and no one owes me anything. Like the universe doesn't owe me anything just because I'm, you know, this way, that way, whatever. Like I, I'm not, I don't deserve anything. You know, I have to build it. I have to make it. Otherwise it's going to go to somebody else. It's a competition, you know? And that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. Any last uh, thoughts about Bitcoin here before we wrap up? Any messages to people who are just considering it or? Yeah, I would say there's very, Bitcoin's great because it's, it's probably the only thing that you can get into as an adult that's going to want, that's going to create a desire inside you to learn more and more and more. It's one of the few things that will make you want to go down a rabbit hole and then want to keep going down the rabbit hole all the way, you know? And then along the way, you meet a lot of interesting people on that journey. Um, but also, like, it's interesting because as you're meeting these new people, you realize there's a lot more people in that rabbit hole than you thought. And, you know, that's where like going to these meetups and stuff like that, it's great because then you get to actually have this inspiration from being around people that have that same kind of vibration that you do. Um, and listen, we could all be nuts, right? There's like, you know, not financial advice or whatever, but we've, the people that have been in it have been right consistently and continue to be right. And the next step is figuring out how to get all the Bitcoiners together on the same page so we can actually make things better on a society level, you know, because now, now there's enough of us that we can kind of like raise our hands and like produce things. We can raise our hands and like produce a better system. And I think there's, there's a lot of value to that, to that concept because it, it's definitely a brighter future than saying, oh, everything's going to go to hell and we're going to have to build a concrete citadel to you know, protect ourselves or whatever. So I think it really comes down to that. While we have the chance, while society is still relatively speaking functional, except for Australia right now, um, can we actually build something positive as a group of Bitcoiners and, and use our ingenuity to solve problems and, and, and build a real scalable you know, lifestyle out of this whole thing? And uh, that's what I think the next five years is going to be. Not only will number go up, but as adoption goes up, then you'll see the, the really big sort of societal impact of having like 100 million American Bitcoiners or something like that. And with El Salvador, you know, we will see, but nobody in the financial world considered El Salvador anything other than a potential surf spot five years ago, you know, and now with El Salvador adopting Bitcoin, I think in a couple of days, this week coming up, it's it's a real experiment to see if you can get you know millions of stackers out of this population that you know for like without an argument is not a very wealthy country you know so if they can if that country can be like let's say the switzerland suddenly of central america or whatever then i think it's a pretty good use case that successful countries like america need to get on board and start mining bitcoin as well you know and get on with that and and because it's going to be more important to have more bitcoin than your enemy countries in 10 years, then it will be to have more tanks. You know, we're not going to be fighting tank battles 10 years from now. It's going to be hash rate, you know, it'd be the hash war 
and 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 really and fighting for the smartest, best, bright, and brightest citizens and the wealthiest citizens to live in your borders. And I think that's where that's what's going to happen. But we, just, I, I'm an American, so I want that to happen in America. That's why I look at it.